Okay. Um, but I, what I think all these really coincide with is this thing that I call motive. And motive is like, think of it like the undercurrent of your life. So you could call it perception. You could call it things like that, right? It's not, I'm not so much worried about what it is you do. I'm way more interested in why. And I don't think we stop long enough most of the time to ask ourselves why. And we just focus on the what. If I can just stop doing this, it'll be good. But I don't stop to ask myself why I'm doing it. The problem with that, too, is a lot of times we ask the question why and don't get the type of answer we want or we don't really have an answer. So it's problematic. So we try to, sh- we try to shy away from those things. But what if the reason as to why is the key to all of the what? Because I used to do things that I didn't understand and things that I didn't want to do that I did regularly. And I could never figure out why until I started to actually look at myself. And I figured out that, you know, though I wasn't always the problem, I was a common denominator in all of the problems. Right? Because you're not always the problem. Most of the time, if we're honest, most of our problems involve multiple people and multiple situations and past history and all this kind of stuff, right? It's also for, like, taking accountability. It does. And that's kind of where I'm going. So take trauma, for instance. You had something happen in your younger years. And say it's been 5, 10, 15, or longer years. And I'm still living my life according to that trauma. But I haven't addressed that trauma. I have a motive that I haven't allowed myself to be aware of. And until I get to the reason of, the, of why my motive is the way it is, I don't really have the opportunity to change it. I'm stuck and I don't know, and that's a terrible place to be, right? We don't want to not know. We would like to know, but then sometimes we're afraid to know. And sometimes my fear of knowing is my motive to not know. Right? And so, like, it's this weird scenario we catch ourselves in. And so what we do, unfortunately, a lot of the time is we reside to the fact that this is who I am and who I'm always going to be. Then that decision, that agreement becomes the motive. Because I just say, screw it. This is just how it's going to be. And now I'm just everyone else's problem. Everyone has to make room for me. Then everybody every day has to wake up to be at my service. And if you're not at my service, I give myself permission to not be okay and make it your fault and I live at your expense. If something happens to me, if someone happens to me, Whatever scenario you would like to give, ask yourself this honest question. Where does it get its power and its authority to change your disposition, your mindset, and how you act throughout the rest of the day? Self. Yours. From self. Like I teach in anger management, most, of, most anger comes from this idea of I myself was interrupted somehow. When you get in the way of that, you're no longer in my service and I'm pissed off about it. It didn't go my way. 
things just aren't the way they need to be. Did you know that you can be okay when things aren't okay? But doesn't it seem like as a society we don't have a permission to do that because you're going through some stuff and then people come up and they give you all the reasons and agree with you and your sadness and your depression and all that and they lick your wound and they, let, they give you the opportunity to stay exactly the same as they found you. Rather than allowing you and giving you truth, having the boldness to face you, though you might not react kindly, to give you truth that can make you free. Because here's the bottom line. You're more than how you feel. How you feel is powerful, but it doesn't have the authority to change how you act unless you give it that permission. Because think about it. Anytime we're in a pissed off mood or anything like that, we wrote our own permission slip to not be okay. We don't understand what they did. I'm like, that sucks. I'm sorry that that happened. I'm sorry that they did that. But what does that have to do with you right now? Why does, that get to, why does that give you permission to change your decisions? Why is that dictating what you are going to say or are not going to say or how you're going to act or not going to act? I've given the control of myself over to others. And then I blame the others that I've given control to. So this idea of motive is extremely important. I can have a motive to wake up to serve rather than to be served. I can have a motive of the things that I have to do or all the things that I get to do. The story um, I told before, it's like I don't like doing the dishes, but I love my wife. Therefore, I love to do the dishes, not because I have to, but because I get to. It's a pleasure of mine to serve whom I love. We say, well, love is conditional. I would say certain types of love are, but not love itself. Because when you see your value as a person and you believe that and you live according to that, it is extremely hard not to see that same value in others. And just because they're not loving towards me doesn't mean I have to fall out of those attributes of love. Doesn't mean I can't live according to them in spite of how I'm treated. Scripture says, um, if you have an enemy, bring him into your house, give him a cup of water. It's like putting burning coals on top of his head. It's that idea of killing him with kindness. But you can be kind vindictively. It's a motive. Uh, purposefully mean. Mm-hmm. You can do it with malice. You can do it for the point of like hurting someone. You can be kind and be fake about it the entire time. Or you can be okay and you're going to find out when you're okay and other people aren't, it pisses them off. Especially your enablers. The ones that help you stay in the position that you're in. Same with the codependence. I need you so that I can be and I derive my value and my identity from other people. It's going to piss them off because all of a sudden you've stepped out of that area of manipulation and you're autonomous now. You get to be free and you get to be you in spite of them. What does that do? You become an example of a different way to live and all their stuff that they're doing comes to light because you're no longer the scapegoat. 
I've, t- I've said this a hundred times. My goal was never, ever, ever sobriety. My goal was freedom. Sobriety is a byproduct of my freedom. I don't have to try. I'm free. Here's my definition of freedom because it's important to define terms. Freedom is the ability to do whatever it is I'd like and the same ability to not do whatever it is I'd like. Because if you can't not do it, you're not free from it. And that includes people. Again, this is what I believe, right? You don't, it's your privilege to disagree with me, but that's what the gospel did for me. It set me free from me so that I can be free from you. And then I can love you and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. And it irritates people to death. Because they want so bad to get our reactions to justify their current behavior. The guy that gets angry and explodes at people, that is a manipulation. It's a tactic. It's fear. It's positioning people. And it's a deflection away from yourself. That's why people try to turn the tables on you. That's why we don't like being falsely accused, because our conscience isn't clean. If you live with your closet door open, you ain't going to find no skeletons in there. It's that aspect of vulnerability. It's not weakness, it takes balls. What thing's harder, to not talk about it or to be open about it? You think that's harder? To be open about it, right? So why do we call it weak? If it's actually harder. We don't like to do it because it scares us. Fear is the only opportunity you have to be courageous because courageous, uh, courage doesn't exist without the, without the presence of fear. Because if you did something you weren't afraid of, it, it wasn't courageous. When we're afraid, it's an excellent opportunity to, to practice courage, boldness, forthrightness, being honest. You know why we hate being honest? If I'm honest with you, completely, openly, vulnerably honest, I remove my own ability to dictate how it's going to turn out. I'm not withholding anything, and I'm not over-exaggerating anything to have it come out better for myself, to make sure I'm seen in a certain way. It is straight-up Mercy Street. Here it is. And you'll be so surprised. You think you're going to do that and people are going to freak out on you? Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, they're extraordinarily appreciative. Why? It shows you that you, one, you care enough about them to not pull their leg. Two, you trust them. In some way, shape, form, or fashion. Even if it's a confidant that you're not even that close to. People relish trust, and they usually act accordingly with it if it's real. Because you're not the only one with a, you know, with a BS radar. <laughs> People know when you're not being all the way honest a lot of the time, more than we would like to admit. And we diminish trust over time doing all that. 
Because what's easier, for me to just tell you or for me to exaggerate or plagiarize or downplay and then have you actually find out the truth? Which one's going to affect me more negatively? The latter. The latter. But we think if we can cover it up that we can escape the punishment of it. But when you aren't forthright and aren't honest about it, you suffer the punishment of it yourself because now your conscience is violated and you have to live with it and we carry it around and slowly our tempers get shorter and shorter and slowly we're lying more and more because we have to keep trying to cover our shame keep trying to cover our shame keep trying to cover our shame and the more ashamed I am the more condemned I am the more condemned I am the more I punish myself because when I'm condemned that's saying that I'm worthy of punishment And again, that's why I believe one drink turns into a whole bottle. I'm guilty that I did what I said I wasn't going to do. Now I feel ashamed because I did it. And now I'm going to punish myself because obviously this, this, and this, glug, glug, glug. And each time I sell a bit of myself away, residing back to the fact of this is just who I am and everyone can just deal with it. When really the only reason you feel bad in the first place is because you know that you're not. That's one of the greatest forms of evidence we have that we're not that person is the fact that we feel bad about doing things we know we shouldn't have done. Because <coughs> think about it. Would you be sitting in this room if you didn't feel bad about the things that you've done? <laughs> this took five years. Yeah, but we, we bypass it because we'd rather go with this negative evidence because it's more according to how I feel about myself rather than what's actually true about myself, which is over here pulling the other way. And we live in turmoil because we have a conscience that's begging to be clean. Fighting two belief systems, fighting each other. Because, yeah, it took five years, but you had that moment. To where like, I can't do this anymore. I'm better than this. There has to be another way. Like, I, I don't want it. That right there should tell you that you're not, the per- you're not the person you've believed yourself to be that always is and going to be the same. Because now you have evidence that you don't actually want to be. Or maybe 10 minutes before that thought, you had resided fully to the fact that this is, it is what it is. It's funny how it works, but we take that huge monumental piece of evidence and we're here for two, three, four days and we're ready to throw that baby out with the bathwater because I'm letting my flesh rule over my spirit, over my mind, over my will, over my emotions, and I'm offering up my wrist saying, please put the shackles back on. It's easier to be a slave than it is to be free. Because when I'm enslaved to these types of things, I no longer have to hold myself in integrity or personal accountability or responsibility. And then you feel worse and worse and worse because back here, you know that shouldn't be. And you know you're better than that and you know you're worth more than that. 
Then you start to feel bad about you and everything gets self-focused. Now, all of a sudden, your problem's becoming everyone else's. Because you won't deal with you, so everyone else is going to have to. And we burn people out. Sometimes people have to push us away for our own good because they can't participate in our death any longer. Mm -hmm. You have... Lots of people have very loving family members that are very supportive, and then they figure out that their help is no longer helpful. They've moved from being helpful and supportive into enablement. And the best thing you can do from that is move immediately away from it and let them go. Do what they're going to do. Because now you're a reason why they can't change. And you feel like you're helping, but sometimes your help is no longer helpful. And you have to reposition yourself in that person's life. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't care about them. It doesn't mean you're not there for them. It, I'm doing this actually for your good and you're going to blow up at me and be pissed off at me so I'm actually taking the hit for you. So it's like you're helping but at the same time you're feeding into the negativity. Exactly. Or they come to you, man. Like imagine your child or your spouse coming to you and, and they're detoxing. They're hurting. It's just, I just, man, come on, man. Just one, just give me one drink. Like you can hold the bottle, blah, blah, blah. That's enablement. You should be like, okay, I am going to help you hop in the car, go to a hospital, and say, hey, we need a medical detox. They're not going to like that. <laughs> but you're offering your help in a way that's actually helpful. And they might blow up in your face. They might be like, okay, let's do it. Or in a lot of cases, blow up kick, scream in your face, blame you for everything, call you every name, make it personal, make it sting, make it hurt, and you can sit there and take that because you didn't do this for you in the first place. So the really good people in our life take our abuse for our benefit. That's what love does. It suffers no wrong. It doesn't keep the laundry list of all the times you hurt me. It's there for you, not for itself. Right? And then we treat people that way, and then we turn around, they, we catch them in a lie because they're trying to protect themselves too because, face it, we can all be toxic. And we catch them in something, and all of a sudden they are unforgivable to us, even though we've wronged them the same or worse. That's why it's so hard. That's why I always say this, you can't have justice without mercy because you're guilty too. And without mercy, you'd still be that way. It's hard pills to swallow, but it is what it is. For me to not be able to forgive you for a wrong done to me, no wonder we have so much trouble forgiving ourselves. Because we're trying to get by and act like we have a clean conscience when we, when we don't. And you'll find out there's nothing worse than a violated conscience. That's why things like integrity and honesty, aren't, those things are so important. That's why they've always been important. You'd never find anyone on the planet that says honesty isn't important. Even dishonest people say that. So here's my question. 
Are we really the way that we are? Or are we the way that our excuses have allowed us to become? I would agree. Even with the traumas and some of the terrible things that have happened to us, even the terrible things that we've done that we can't seem to get over. We are not that person today. How do I know? Because if you could go back and relive or redo exactly what I'm talking about, would you do it? Not to live it differently, to experience it exactly the same again. I'm a firm believer in that no matter right or wrong, everything that I've done in my past, everything traumatic that's happened has made me into who I am today. Okay, so I'll put it a different way. If you had the opportunity to do the same thing as you are today, would you do the same thing that you did then, that you learned so much from? Yeah. Or would you do something different? I'd do, I'd do the same thing. Even the terrible thing? Yeah. Why is that? There's a lot of hard lessons I had to learn through the terrible things that kept me from going down a further black hole. Um, I mean, lighter stuff that I would get in trouble with may have prevented me from going way too far. Right. And so I would rather learn the learn the lesson from something light mm-hmm. versus not learning that lesson and getting influenced by someone else who's already further down. Right. And then I just skip straight to that further down. Well, I've, I've been able to say no to a lot of things right. because I, I've seen what it does and I, I've, I've been around it and I, I learned a lesson to say, you know what, I know where that leads. But if I never did that before and I never learned that lesson, right. I wouldn't know So what, what I'm saying now is because you've made decisions and things have happened and they were not good and you learned from them, now that you learned from them, would you do the same thing that you already learned from? Not again. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason we wouldn't do that is because, like you're saying, we're not the same person that made that decision. Yeah. Because if you were, you'd have absolutely no problem doing it, and it wouldn't, you wouldn't care. Yeah. I see what you mean. And the fact that you feel bad about it today, even though you learned from it, is the fact that you care. It's evidence that you've changed because the person that did it did not care at the moment. And we just discount all these things like they're worthless because, well, I've done this and I've done this. And like they somehow override the fact that you're this other person fighting, moving forward progressively, but we don't feel that way. Though we have the evidence that that makes it true. Would you go back and do the horrible things you've done? Not again. What more proof do you need? To reside and just say, well, I just can't help it. I mean, that's, that's just not true. Most of the time when we say, I can't do something, if we're honest, what we're really saying is that I won't. I can't change. No, you won't. I can't make different decisions. No, you won't. How has there ever been a success story if that's true for people? And again, on our negative pedestal and our false humility and our pride, we say, well, that's them, but. How do we violate our conscience? By giving ourselves permission to live less than what we're worth.
Mm-hmm. If I had a Aston Martin, would I sell it for 500 bucks? Hell no. Why not? Because it ain't worth it, right? 500 bucks ain't worth it? So what you're saying was you understand the value of something, you don't sell it cheap? Right. Imagine that. So why have we been selling ourselves cheap? Mm. Fucked up. Judge. Right, but we had to do that slowly over time. And the less the worth goes down, the longer it is before we hit a point of conscious. Yeah, then that one, you could do that one bad thing, but that was, I can't do any more than that. I can smoke a bit of weed. That's not, you know, whatever. I can have a drink or two. Now I can, have, I can smoke a bit of weed and have a drink or two. And then you're back to using heroin and, and living back on the street all through that process of devaluation. Right. So for me, again, this is what I believe. I was bought with a price. And anything less than that price has no say nor value in my life. It's simply not worth it. It becomes a matter of economics after that. It's like having a good budget. That's why it doesn't have that appeal and that grab any longer. It lost its luster because it's simply not worth it. It is lower in value than I am. Does that make sense? How do we determine value? By the price we're willing to pay. That's how we determine the value of something. Um, some people really like shoes. And they'll go spend three, four, five, six hundred $600 on a pair of shoes. I would never do that because I don't value shoes in that way. I mean, I don't think it's the greatest use of someone's money, but hey, but if that's their thing, that's their thing. But they just, they hold shoes in a higher value. I buy $40 Pumas and I wear until there's holes in the bottom and then I get another pair. And that's what I do because I use a shoe for a shoe, but I don't have a high value for shoes. So I don't go buy really expensive shoes. So we determine how much something's worth by the price we're willing to pay. Think about how much you are worth and how much you are willing to pay. In order to devalue yourself so much, think about how much you had to have been worth. And we think we can't ever get back to that status. That's just not true. The reason we won't let ourselves is based purely, in my opinion, on how we feel, not on what's actually true. Because we have this predicament. How I feel about me inside, I try to create that same scenario for myself outside. Why do you think people like self-sabotage when it comes to like having good jobs or getting promotions and things like that? I get more people back in this door because things were going too good rather than too bad. Because I gave myself a glass ceiling and if I exceed it, I'm exceeding what I perceive myself to be worth. So I have to diminish my environment and I have to create these scenarios or participate in these things that get me back to that level that I think I'm at. You can never do better <clears throat> than how you value yourself.
You will not allow yourself. I have to manifest my internal reality around me so that I can equal out. And I will do everything in my power to make sure that that scene is not my fault. I didn't take that promotion, man, because that, that supervisor, blah, blah, blah. Maybe you feel inadequate and not responsible enough to actually handle that job. Maybe you believe it's going to be too stressful. But you can't tell people, I simply don't want a promotion because who doesn't want a promotion? So I come up with these reasonings and these excuses to say why I can't. As a young man, my mom would, she, I mean, talk about good advice. She's excellent advice, very perceptive, all of these things. Would always give me advice as a young man, like when it comes to jobs. And I, you know, why, and I, she got really frustrated with me one day and said, all you do is give me the reason why you can't do anything. Which made me mad at the time, but after thinking about it, she was right. She was absolutely right. The only reasonings I ever gave as was to why I could not do something or why it would not work out if I tried. I was afraid to fail, so I lived perpetually in failure. I failed to actually let myself fail <laughs> and learn, like he was saying, from those failures. But at least I can do that now in a constructive way rather than just doing a bunch of bad stuff and getting in trouble for it, right? I could take a shot at starting that business and fail miserably. That happened to almost every great CEO we know. But their failure wasn't a failure, it was opportunity. They got to learn every step of the way, what to do, what not to do. I'm one of those people, I learned what to do, unfortunately, by doing it wrong the first time. I had to learn what not to do, usually, so I know what to do. In almost 10 years in this industry, you can see how that's been an interesting process. But I've said things wrong. I've hurt people on accident. I've done all sorts of things that I had to learn from. And there's been so many times, y'all should have heard the first group I ever gave. I was too nervous to talk. So I could either run from it or keep going. And now it doesn't matter if I'm talking to five people or 200 people. It doesn't matter. But it's because I kept going through failure. My understanding develops as I learn more and I have to change things and I have to say, hey, I used to believe this, but I don't think that's true anymore. I have to be honest. I have to be open. All those types of things. I have to sit up here and be vulnerable for your sake so you know how to be vulnerable. We forget that we're example. All of us are examples to everyone. We're all open books that get read. And people don't learn by what we tell them. They learn more so by what we do towards them. Or what we do in our life and how we carry ourselves versus what we say. We grew up, you know, what you don't know won't hurt you. That's not true. And we also um, do as I say, not as I do. And yet we're sitting here the exact same as our parents were and nothing like they said. Because we learn through emulation. 
especially in those formative years. And we learn how to trust people, not by what they say, but how they carry out what it is they've said. You can listen to what a man says, but you need to watch what he does. Women too, that's just the generic people. Um, But we sit here and we say we want to do better and we say we want to do better, but then we don't present any progress because progress comes slowly. So we get frustrated. They don't believe us. They falsely accuse us of something. You're just the same. You're always going to be that way. So we go back in agreement and do exactly what it is we said we weren't going to do. Sabotage. Because what they think of me is more important than what I know about me. And you're the one that gave them that permission and that authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it results where? Externally. It happens here first. Happens inside first. How do you know if you're in danger of that? Listen to how you talk to yourself. You know you're going to mess this up. You know they really don't believe you. Yeah, from the abundance of the the heart, the mouth speaks. You're showing yourself what you actually believe versus how you feel. The reason our feelings are so powerful in the negative is because when we feel negative, they align, so it must be true. It's just not always the case. How I feel is a fact. I feel that way. I can literally feel it, right? But because it's a fact that I feel that way doesn't mean that the feeling is actually true. Sometimes we have to be very stern in our facts over feelings, right? Just because I feel in my heart that 2 plus 2 is 3 does not change the meaning of 2 plus 2. Right? True. If I didn't know that, then I can believe it's 3. But once I find out, the only way I can go back to believing it's 3 is purposefully. Because you really know that it's not. And I dirty my conscience while I do it. I lessen myself while I do it. I reside back to the thing that I... Believe that I'm not. To make yourself feel mm-hmm. To appease and equalize everything around me according to my own self-worth, my own identity. So it's like a double-edged sword, right? So we come in here because we had that moment of clarity that says, this is not who I am. And then a lot of times in these places, they teach you that you're an addict and you're always going to be one. And then you leave trying not to be the addict that you believe you are. And in both cases, on, equals, on opposite spectrums, you're living a lie in either, either way. Do you not understand the psychological gymnastics that has to go into the statement that I am this, but I can't be this? You know, the more you think about not using, the more you're thinking of using... Yeah, because if I'm an addict, it's always going to be one. I'm fighting cravings. I'm fighting triggers. I'm trying not to use. And I'm thinking about using all the time. Thinking about how not to, but you're thinking about using at the same time, trying not to. Right, so then I get to the place to where 
according to what I believe, what, what God showed me, is that that man died and a new man is in his place. So if I believe I'm no longer an addict, I don't sit there struggling with to use or not to use. Have you met just a guy that's just like hopelessly nice no matter what? In most cases, he's not just trying to be nice. He is just nice. And he doesn't have to try to be. It's who he is. Does that make sense? Proverbs 23, 7. What a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you believe is what you become. So we come in here thinking, there's a possibility that I'm not this. I'm going to try to get help and overcome it. Then I leave thinking that I am always going to be this thing that I was trying not to be. It's turmoil. It's a brain scramble. And you're trying to live opposite of who you actually think you are. No wonder it's so difficult. I'd have been kicked out of AA by now. But I believe that's at the bottom of my heart. And I agree with the statement of an addict, once an addict, always an addict. I think early on in recovery, that's a good mindset. It helps, it's a preventative, kind of helps keep us from some things. But later on down the road, I think it is horribly detrimental. Because you, mm-hmm, you can have 40 years sobriety and piss it away with one drink. Because it's never stopped being your identifying statement. See, it's just who I am, and I can reside to the fact of the excuse I've kept for 20 years. Does that go for everybody, like people that smoke meth, people that drink? Yeah, there's no difference in substance. Okay. Because I'll put it like this. If your drug of choice disappeared off the, place of the, off the face of the planet tonight, would you just be done? So it's not an idea of substance. We always find something else. <clears throat> If we haven't dealt, if we haven't found a new way to live. And then you realize, I have a higher self-value than that. Then you go back to your environments that you're used to, our, our little echo chambers, so to speak. And we find ourselves struggling really bad because we won't allow ourselves to break routine because it's comfortable. And it's five o'clock and you're at home and you're on the couch and you're used to smoking a blunt. And you haven't changed some of your patterns and stuff like that. You're just going to find it more difficult. I'm not saying that can push you over the edge and doom you, but it's a good idea to think about if I'm different, maybe I should live different. Right? Instead of getting caught in those old familiar patterns that constantly try to remind me of who I was and what I was doing. You know, they always say change people, places, and things, but what does the AA book say? Is it wherever you go, there you are? I had a, a past client say, well, no matter where I go, drugs always find me. I said, man, you should be making a lot more money if you're a drug magnet. You know? I said, no, wherever you go, you find them. Moving to different states and not knowing anyone. And within two weeks, hanging out with people, finding it. I said, man, it's because the search was proactive in one way or another. 
This is a difficult thing, guys. This isn't stuff that happens overnight. This is wrestling in the bedroom by yourself when no one else is around. This is going deep into the thought and taking consideration and thinking why I'm doing things that I do. What could possibly be producing this within me? Why do I feel so strongly to go do the thing that I so strongly don't want to do? What's provoking me? What, what could it be? And trying to go down those rabbit holes and, and figure some stuff out. And the thing about change is it's progressive, but it's slow. If you plant an acorn, you don't have an acorn tree tomorrow. It has to grow up, and then slowly it starts to bear fruit. And you can see it. And everyone, then everyone else can see it too. So you've got to give yourself some mercy and some grace to grow. Stop beating yourself up with every mistake. Allow yourself to make mistakes by allowing yourself, like you said, to learn and grow from those mistakes. And you're going to have to take some abuse. You're going to have to take some people not believing you. You're going to have to take some people not trusting you. You're going to do the right thing and then people are going to think that you didn't. You do the right thing anyways. And do it again. And do it again. We need that track record. We can edify each other and build each other up over time. Because this, this was true in my life. I don't, I'm not sure if it was true in everyone's life. But people at some point start to come to you and say, what changed? And then you realize that you didn't realize. Wow. I didn't think I changed that much. I still feel like I'm struggling pretty hard. But other people are starting to see it, and that's very, very encouraging. But that takes time, and a lot of people don't believe you way before they believe you. Do it anyway. We're, so, we're all so stubborn to go use. Why don't we just get stubborn the other way? Right. Or I used to believe what everyone else thought of me. I needed a whole room to like what I didn't love. That was me. I became your little um, puppet on a string. I was only as good. I only felt as good as I felt you saw me. Mm-hmm. And that gives them a lot of power. Nicely controlled. Mm-hmm. And you break free some of that stuff, and all of a sudden you start to stand your ground. You start to have some boundaries. You start to require things of other people that are normal things for decent humans to have in relationships and things like that. And you'll see some people start to freak out a little bit. In a lot of cases, and I'll tell you this honestly, in a lot of cases, again, not every case, relationships usually get a little bit harder before they get better. Once you get clean. Because when you're healthier and you're setting good boundaries and stuff like that, it starts to call out some of their stuff that maybe they don't realize that they were doing. And it's cultivated itself together. It's this weird knot that has to slowly be undone. Yeah. It's the same thing as everything has to go up before it goes, or everything has to go up before it goes down. Right. Yeah. It's just, 
But have those hard conversations with each other. Sit down and really listen to your spouse or to your kids or to your parents, whoever it is that's important and very involved in your life. Listen to them. If you listen to them, they'll probably grant you an audience to listen back. And if they don't, that's not a reflection of you, at least any longer. And that humility allows you to take some of that abuse and still keep growing. Pride will push you right back into that, into that place. I'm not saying don't be like proud of yourself, like you've accomplished so much just by being here. Yeah, you should be proud, but not in pride, if that makes sense. Any questions or statements or comments or thoughts? You said it allows you to take some abuse and still keep growing. Because you're learning slowly how to take things with a grain of salt and analyze whether they're actually true or not. Because not every criticism is true. Like I said, some people, are, some people are just mean. And it's just, sometimes that happens. And they were having a bad day and you got in their way. So they unload on you. Just like we've done to people. Does that, does that come in line with like constructive, constructive criticism? Yeah. Yeah, if you're, if you're um, self-conscious or don't like yourself, criticism, whether it be constructive or otherwise, always feels like an attack. You feel like they're just pointing out all the things you're not doing when they're trying to point something out to help you go further and overcome. Like, man, I see this in your life. I, I, I don't know if you even notice you're doing that. but Or they're putting a boundary down. You keep doing that. I don't like it. That's not good for me. That's an attack. We just think I'm a shitty person. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You see? Guys, it's complicated. Well, that's why we have to grow in patience and understanding and mercy and all those things, just like people have had for us. We have to give it to ourselves too, and we have to allow it to other people and allow them to not be perfect, just like we're not. Anything else? Thank <laughs> you.